0: Broadcasting from the beautiful hill country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. dot com. Well, very pleasant. Uh, good morning to you. Hi there. This is Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com, and we are here on the last Wednesday of the month. Brings us to one of our favorite guys. He's one of my heroes, and his name is Richard Mayberry. Early warning report. You're going to meet Richard in just a minute and find out what he's having for dinner tomorrow. But also, uh, after Richard Mayberry, kind of a special guest. Uh, we're going to talk to a fellow. His name is Murray Raisin. Murray is over four, 400 years old. That's right. He was at the very first Thanksgiving in 1619 or 1629, one of those. And he's going to tell us about that experience. And then we're going to ask him about all, all kinds of things. Of I guess he was around when they invented the the light bulb and everything, so there'll be plenty to talk about. With uh, Murray Raisin, and 400 years old, obviously we're going to ask him about his his secret of longevity, because that's pretty old. Now, speaking of old, uh, I see on the latest and all of the newsletters of Richard Mayberry, they actually call you Richard Mayberry, the 2,000-year-old man. So, you're older than Murray Raisin. I mean, I mean how do you do that?
1: Let me start by saying, you know, you, uh, you called me your hero, and, and Patrick, you're, you're one of my heroes, because, you know, you are saying things that need to be said that the mainstream press will not say, uh, that will not disclose, and uh, it's so important that people hear the other side of the story from what the, uh, you know, the official government and mainstream press line, and thank you very much oh, for that. Oh, it's
0: my pleasure. It's a real, okay. real challenge, and I'll let uh, yeah, tell me about, yeah. so I kind of get the idea of the 2,000-year-old man, but I don't think my listeners do.
1: Um, I, uh, I'm i a kind of a <laughs> fanatic about, about economic history, and um, I've studied a, a whole lot of economic history. Most people don't even know there is such a thing as economic history, hmm. but yes, it is, and it's way more important than political history, which is what everybody is forced to study when they go through school and they're given the impression that politics runs the world but if you study economic history you realize that it's the the average individual producing and trading with other people that's what runs the world Mm. and and so i've studied that all the way back to uh... pretty thoroughly uh, to the beginning of the roman empire which was 500 B.C. in that area. Uh, Well, actually, the Republic was then, and then the the Empire followed. But um, that's 2,500 years. And so when I write, I'm writing from the perspective of somebody who, um, you know, a lot of people say it's as if he lived back in those times, Uh and he remembers. And, you know, remembering history is a good way to avoid mistakes. Hmm. So... uh, it's that fact that i just have that 2500 year viewpoint that people really enjoy that it gives depth to things and it's uh, it's uh, among other things it it gives a person the sense that regardless of the insanity that you're facing around you today we've been through this before
0: mm. yeah that's a nice that's a nice meme and remember richard mayberry publishes the us early and world early warning report that we offer here. And we're gonna tell you how you can get a very special deal on it today and over the holidays and pick up on the next uh, edition that's coming out in uh, January of 2022. He's uh, been around a while, uh, not quite 2,000 years, but uh, (laughs) he also has an ethics solution course, and we'll tell you about that and a whole series of books called the Uncle Eric series and that's very, very popular with the homeschoolers. Well, Mister Mayberry, uh, Mister Mayberry, um, we just ran a, a a video from a doctor lady at the Methodist University Medical Hospital in Houston giving a press conference on the steps there that they uh, they let her go for using ivermectin. Um, isn't it interesting? Uh, yeah. yeah. And and they, and they did it on Twitter, too, and it was really strange. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, this, you write about it in the latest newsletter about this socialized medicine and this whole COVID thing, and, you know, we've talked about it quite a bit on this show, and you've mentioned it last month, but there's something rotten and gold in Denmark with this whole thing, mm-hmm. isn't there?
1: There really oh, is. Just. Absolutely, uh, I I think... One of the most rotten things about it is that the um, the the bad news about COVID gets lots of coverage, um, which is understandable. But they don't say anything about the good news about COVID, and there is good news, and <clears throat> it is that the precautions that people have been taking to fight or protect against the disease, you know, the, uh, the face masks and the physical distancing and all of that, have been working not just on COVID, but on about 20 other respiratory diseases, influenza is one of them, chickenpox, um, some others. I'm not a doctor. I can't name them all. But um, <clears throat> these other respiratory diseases that kill people have been suppressed, almost put out of business, uh, by these precautions that are being used for for COVID. And, you know, both Nature magazine, which is a very respected uh, um, science magazine that goes back to the 1800s, and Scientific American, which also goes back to the 1800s, both of them have pointed out that the number of people being saved by these precautions may exceed the number that are being killed by the disease so that COVID is actually very possibly having a net benefit for us. Now, of course, you know, anybody dying of COVID, that's a tragedy, no uh, no, no doubt about it, and it deserves to be covered. But why not cover these people that are being saved? you know why not attribute the same value to the lives being saved as the ones being lost but the mainstream media and the government won't go near it they do not admit that <clears throat> the this supposed catastrophe of covid isn't a catastrophe at all because all of these other people are being saved
0: and also i i i think it's very clear that there's a definite um, stigma and push on any of these alternative ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and and all of these that have been out for a long time. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, here's a lady being fired over it, and uh, so the vaccine thing is a whole, and uh, you know, and they're you know, Mr. Mayberry, they're they're lying about uh, the adverse effects of these vaccines. There's so much evidence that we've run e- so many videos of doctors and. Patients and people falling over. These things are. These things are not good. And there, nobody's covering that. Nobody's covering.
1: It. Yeah. Nobody's uh, covering. I, well, actually, that's changing. Is uh, it?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, this past week, the Wall Street Journal, or I should say last week, the Wall Street Journal did its own analysis of the data on the deaths. Oh, really? And, yeah, and and the connection with the vaccines, and they found that. Um, something in the neighborhood of 20,000 people have died after having the vaccines.
0: Oh, I think it's way higher than that, sir.
1: Yeah, well, that's what they could prove. Yeah,
0: that's what they could prove, right. Yeah. Yeah, we ran a a video this morning uh, that a whole half an hour worth of uh, newscast, and this was on the news in Israel, right? On the news, and usually they're the ones with the fake ones. You wouldn't believe the amount of people that are dying that have been vaccinated in Israel. And it was the most vaccinated country in the world. Oh, my God. Yes, sir. I mean, seriously. These people are dying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, yeah. They're dying. So, I don't know if we're ever going to know. Did you see where Pfizer wants to wait till 2056 to release all all the data on the actual... Yeah.
1: That's,
0: that's I saw that in the news yesterday 2056
1: they must not be too proud of it. no
0: it's just it's it's just really something what's going on and and I think it I think it kind of lends into what you're talking about in your your latest newsletter the December is that this this socialization and this um, um, and um, of medicine and then all of the media it's 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 getting very dangerous out there for people trying to find out what the truth of the, the, the matter is.
1: Yeah, um, the, I think one of the things that's not getting any kind of, of coverage to speak of is the fact that you you got on this planet uh, something in the neighborhood of 200 national governments, and uh, there's also the 50 American states and a lot of other uh Local governments and, and uh, regional governments around the world. So you got you got you know probably thousands of different governments around the world making um, policies for dealing with COVID, and a whole lot of these policies contradict each other. They all say that they're basing their um, instructions on on science but how can they all be coming up with different plans you know. if they're basing it on science you know there's only one science that's the the, you know, the four step process that, that science is all about and it's that way all over the world they're all saying they're basing this on science that's ridiculous it cannot be and in fact um, in the December issue of early warning report I give you a couple quotes there from um, doctors who were on these um, advisory panels for the COVID in Washington, saying they don't know what they're doing, that they are guessing at these various precautions, and, and uh, it's it's insane. I mean, it is absolutely insane that people are being told that it's all figured out, we all know what to do, and yet you've got maybe a thousand governments with a thousand different plans on what to do. No, you, this isn't science. This is not
0: science. No, sir, it is, mm-hmm. it is just, just not. And, and all of these city governments, right, and uh, we've done shows on it, and they're all kind of connected with the United Nations, right, in this Agenda uh-huh. 21 thing, and, mm-hmm. and they tell them what to do, and this whole uh, smart grid thing, or smart growth, they call it, don't you love that one? Smart growth the Green New Deal, oh, yeah. right, and defund the police. This is all coming out of the UN, all these, uh, these, these socialist cities, and they, they just follow orders. They're just yep. following orders. Wow.
1: Yeah, um, most people today don't know it, but uh, when you and I were, were kids in school, we were, were taught, we were given pretty heavy indoctrinations in the belief in the United Nations. Um, there's the socialists had basically taken over the United Nations, and uh, we were taught that the solution to all of mankind's problems is to have a one-world government. <laughs>
0: That's right. See, see, oh, you remember? See, I see, I, I don't remember that back then.
1: Is that right? Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> I just remember that the Russians were going to kill us at any moment. That was, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. There's that too. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's another thing that I point out in uh, in the December issue of early warning report is that uh, you know the the emphasis on fear that the government and the mainstream press are forever trying to keep us afraid of something that they pump up the fear every chance they get because they know that uh, that benefits them yes uh, if if people think that. Yeah, everything's hunky dory, you know. Life is going along pretty good, and all that. Then, then what do we need a government for? <laughs> you know. That's right. So uh, you
0: need us because anything could attack you at any time,
1: right? That's I mean. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you are at risk all the time. Any moment you can be attacked. You need a big, powerful government to protect you, and, and that's what a whole lot of the news is about—is just keeping you scared yeah. on purpose. Yeah
0: wouldn't that wouldn't be something if th- there's not really all as many or any of these nuclear weapons? I wonder, I so, you know, I don't trust these guys. I wouldn't even suspect if they just all made that up and they just pocket the money and tell you they got all this <laughs> stuff.
1: <laughs> well, there, I've got a theory on that. Do uh, you? Let me you hear would, it. Yeah, right. I haven't talked about this uh, on the radio in years, but um, I used to know Samuel Cohn, who was the inventor of the neutron bomb, and he was also in the Manhattan Project with the invention of the atomic bomb, uh, which was used in 1945. And um, you know, he and I used to talk frequently about those days and what he experienced. And and what happened was that after these scientists got finished in 1949 inventing the bomb then they didn't have anything to do and they just sat around and started talking about the implications of what they had done oh. and what was most likely to, to come from it and the conclusion that that uh, they came to was that the most likely thing to happen would be somebody would steal one of the bombs and use it on washington dc Now you know, a few years later, along comes uh, the Soviet government, they build their bomb, you can bet they came to the same conclusion, that the most likely thing to happen was that somebody would steal one of their bombs and use it on Moscow. Because, in both cases, there are a lot of people in the world who really hate those two governments. So, um, I, he said that they started thinking, you know, well, how do you prevent this? How do you make sure? Well, Along comes uh, Herman Kahn, um, and he figures out that um, in order to completely paralyze and and uh, render helpless uh, the Soviet Union or the United States, it would only take about two hundred bombs. If you if you drop two hundred bombs on hmm. Russia or on, or on sorry, rather and on or on the U.S then you've won the war. Uh, if you're still alive, you've won the war. <laughs> if
0: you're still alive, right.
1: Yeah. So um, that's all the, the, the number of bombs. That's the only bunch that they needed is, is roughly 200. Either side needed that many. I think what happened is that they did build thousands and thousands of bombs. At one point, the two governments together had something in the neighborhood of 50,000. Really? Yeah, even though they only knew you 200, they had (laughs) something like (laughs) (laughs) 50,000. And I think so the question arises, you know, at some point, some of these bombs must have disappeared. And in fact, some of them did. They did occasionally, both sides, occasionally just lost a bomb. Like there was a case off of North Carolina, I think it was, over the ocean, Oh, American, yeah, yeah. An American bomber just accidentally let go of an atomic bomb and it landed in the ocean. They never found it. So there were cases like that over the years where bombs would disappear, uh, but never was one used. And I I was pondering that one day, and I was thinking, you know, probably what's going on is they knew they only needed 200, and they were scared to death that somebody would, would steal one. <laughs> and use it on them so uh, i think that what they did is secretly enrich uh, both sides both the soviets and and the americans enriched their uh, plutonium or uranium to just below the critical level so that the thing wouldn't go off it would be a a full impact yeah. (laughs) yeah And so, what they did is and this is just my theory. I've got no way to prove it, just a theory. But if thinking like I would think if I were them and I was afraid that I was going to be the target of these things, I would have those bombs enriched, but not up to critical level. And so, um, you'd have thousands and thousands of these bombs scattered around. And if one is stolen, it's not likely it'll be one of the ones that really work.
0: It's a very interesting theory. I like it. <laughs>
1: right, but I Again, like it. I can't prove it. No, I know. Yeah. But if I were them, that's what I would have done. Yeah.
0: And also, isn't there enough for these, these lunatics running the thing, you know, pulling the strings that they have to be concerned about their own welfare and their families, wouldn't
1: they? Um, they have to? No? Yeah. Um, Unless they got a
0: lot of bunkers and...
1: Well, they did they had some spectacular yeah. underground bunkers um but you know you don't want to want to live in underground for 10 years or so or whatever it takes for the radiation to go away so i think you're right I, I, a very big uh, question in their mind was uh, you know how can i go ahead and, and live my life the way i want to um and it, when we've got this threat sure. hanging yeah. over
0: us, we're talking with uh, Richard Mayberry, uh, early warning report. Like I said, we'll we'll kind of fill you in on the special we have for you in just a minute or so. We when we take a break. So, just from big picture policy wise and government and just culture, what do you make of what's going on with uh, the Biden? saying, you got to do this, and we have this mandates and all that, and the courts say, no, you don't have to. The governors say, you don't have to. Is this, has this ever been this much of a, a breakaway from states, and, uh, and, and, but, he, and, but they just keep moving forward like they don't hear anybody? Yeah. Isn't that interesting?
1: Oh, it sure is. Um, I think, uh, well, you know, uh, political power corrupts the morals and the judgment, History teaches no clearer lesson, and um, I think that that's what happens. People get into power and mm. they're crazy, uh, and that's what's going on. Uh, have you been watching the situation in Oklahoma? I have, yes. Wow. Um, yes. For the for our listeners who, who aren't familiar with it, um, my understanding is that the governor of Oklahoma decided that the troops uh, in his national uh-huh. guard— would not have to take the vaccine, All right. and then the the uh, leader of the of the National Guard in Oklahoma um, refused to go along. So the governor got rid of him and got a new guy in there. And this <laughs> this was last week, I think. Mm-hmm. And the new guy said, "You know, no, we're we're not going to do what Biden wants." So you've got a. <laughs> an armed force here that is refusing to do what the president says now the the legal implications of this are fantastic the um usually the the national guard in each state is under the the governor yes sir. And, and not under the president under the governor and so the God, the president can take use of the national guard in a national emergency if he declares a national emergency then he can do it well i have a suspicion that if he declares a national emergency they're not going to do it exactly they're <laughs> not going to do it and they have guns what are you going to do about that you know? so we are in a and very a really, interesting yeah yeah you no kidding man i mean it's it is really kind of shades of the civil war you know? yeah
0: well when texas and florida break away like i hope we do right. we'll, we'll grab oklahoma and tennessee too tennessee's pretty cool they're right. they're, they're also <laughs> doing the same thing with the vaccine mandates so i don't I, I mean but they're on pretty solid ground we won't dig too deep and could neither one of you, us are constitutional but we've had constitutionalists on that suggest that this that the states are on very solid ground our guy with the mandates and uh DeSantis in Florida that, uh, you know, presidents can't tell the states what to do. They just can't.
1: Well, according to the Constitution, yes, but according to law, um, which is not supposed to override the Constitution,
2: right. <laughs>
1: but, uh, you know, that's that's regarded as a kind of a nuisance that they ignore in Washington. Um, yeah, the, um, the the states are supposed to be independent, Um, and the, the national guards are supposed to be, but, um, yeah, well, I don't know what you can say that there is this conflict and, uh, it's not going away, um, (laughs) which is a good thing, I think. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. The American people have got to, to rediscover the constitution. They've got to understand it's the constitution that stands between us and tyranny, um, living like people do in the soviet union that's the constitution is what protects us from that and when the president or anybody else starts to violate the constitution that is a major major threat to the country
0: yes sir and i think it can be argued pretty easily that this entire written house thing in wisconsin was all about the second amendment Yes. Um, I and then, you know, the whole yeah. white supremacist thing, too. They were running with that. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like this, and I've been around a little bit. Not quite as long as a 2,000-year-old <laughs> guy, but you and I were born in the same year. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh,
1: yeah. Hmm. The, the, um, <laughs> yeah, we were. That's right, yeah. Um, you see this sort of thing all through history. Uh, uh-huh. the, the, uh, the government, any government you want to name, it, as soon as it's... Created, it starts growing, it starts gathering more power, it uh, it becomes more and more crooked. You know, <laughs> governments are evil, evil things. That's what <laughs> you know. You gotta you gotta read the Federalist Papers by the uh, yeah. by Madison, Hamilton, and Jay to understand this. The American founders understood that governments are inherently crooked, and they were trying to come up with a system where the government would be almost completely paralyzed and unable to do much damage no matter who got control he'd be unable to do much damage to us that's what the whole constitution was about that's that's what seventeen eighty seven constitutional convention all Mm -hmm. of that was all about is figuring out Mm. how to paralyze the government so that it could not wreck the country and ever since then these power junkies come to power in Washington, and they look for ways to get around those safeguards. And that's almost, I, well, I shouldn't say everything that, that every regime in Washington does, but, but they all, in one way or another, bridle at the controls that the Constitution puts on them, and they try to undermine the Constitution.
0: Yes, sir. And, so the Federalist Papers, they were more than just uh, the states' rights argument.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. see, I'm going to
0: have to read those. or I bet you could get some on, on tape and listen to them. That'd be kind of fun, I bet.
1: Uh-huh, yeah. Um, the uh, Federalist Number 10 is one of the most important. Mm. In that one, Madison explains the idea that you, uh, that they were deliberately creating a government that would be paralyzed by infighting so that, you know, these politicians would be at each other's throats so much that they wouldn't be able to bother you and me very much.
0: (laughs) Good old Madison, man.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, he was a very, uh, a complete realist when it came to government. He knew history. That's the thing. People don't know the history of, of governments. They don't know what governments really are. They don't know how governments really behave. Because we all attend government-controlled schools when we're kids, and we don't know anything, and we're easily brainwashed.
0: <laughs> do so. you think the schools ever? Because I know you used to teach school, and you have mm-hmm. books at the homeschoolers. Do you think the government schools ever really taught real history and good stuff like a hundred years ago? Do we don't do we know or did they well, ever?
1: A hundred years ago. Um, yeah, there was there was quite a bit of good stuff still left. Mm-hmm. It was just about a hundred years ago that we started getting these huge uh, factory model government schools. I see mm-hmm. where you know the you know hundreds or thousands of kids start going to school together in what is essentially an assembly line process. Mm-hmm. It used to be. Um, you go back, let's say, the year 1900, America had um, almost entirely a a one-room school uh, Hmm. type of operation. And kids of all ages went to those schools. And in any given one-room school, there were ages 6 to 16 in there, as many as 40 kids at a time. And um, they were all taught together. And um, there just was not any assembly line process like there is today, where you, the the pressure is always on the kid to keep up with the class. You don't want to yeah. fall behind. Right. Yeah. You know th- that none of that went on in a one room school. Each child, well, you know what parents are never told about the schools is an abomination. There is so much that they uh, parents are not told about what their kids are going through. The the one room school was a case where the teacher knew full well that every kid is um, different and and every kid is progressing at a different rate from the kid sitting next to him. So you had a case where you could have a seven-year-old who's a whiz at math and a fifteen-year-old who doesn't know math very well, and the seven-year-old is tutoring the fifteen-year-old. And it could be reversed. There could be uh, the 15-year-old uh, might be very good at reading and a 10-year-old is not. So the 15-year-old tutors the 10-year-old. So everybody in the class is a tutor, a teacher. And, and one of the things that every teacher finds out is that you never learn something as well as when you teach it. Hmm. Yes. So every kid in the class is helping other kids and, and becoming even more proficient at whatever it is that they're good at. And so you had a whole classroom of teachers. You know, we think of them because they're kids as a classroom full of students. But actually, it was also a classroom full of teachers who were teaching each other. Um, and that's how a one-room school worked and it really worked well and you can you can prove this yourself you get on the internet and you look up eighth grade graduation tests and there are quite a few of them on the internet now and they are uh, make it eighth grade graduation tests in the 1800s or in the 19th century whichever wow you can actually get those on the internet yeah they're right on the internet Take that test yourself and see how you do. (laughs) Uh, And you will find out that the typical American of the 1800s was way, way better educated (laughs) than one today.
2: Very interesting.
1: The one room schools worked really, really well. And what's exciting to me is that this rise of the homeschooling movement, the home education movement is a better word, I think. Yeah. I this is just wonderful because these people are rediscovering the one-room schoolhouse. And um, I, I am just so excited about it because this is a solution not just to the educational morass that governments have created, but also to the health of America itself. You're going to start at what well, we do. We st- we've got a population of kids. Um, last year was like 11% of kids were being home educated. Um, those kids are coming out of their their educations from their parents um way way better educated sure. than than almost anybody in the public schools. And to the point that even the military academies, you know, like West Point and Annapolis, they like to get homeschool kids. I bet they do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. and as you know, because you 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 um, know this stuff, that there's so much more than just what they know. I mean, their eyes are brighter. Their whole their whole countenance is brighter. I mean, I can go at the farmers market. I can pick out the homeschool kids. Guarantee you, I can pick them out. Yeah, I that, do. Yes, because yes. whenever I talk to a uh, uh, mom, and I'll say, I can look at their kids. They say, "Oh, you homeschool your kids. You can just tell."
1: <laughs> yeah, I I notice. You that. can tell. You can yeah. tell. I used to do um um appearances at homeschool conferences back, oh, well, maybe 25 years ago. Wow. And and at that time that exact thing dawned on me. I you can I just would, tell, Yeah, yeah I after I gave a speech, I'd wander around the hotel lobby and all and and these kids would come up and talk to me and if if I had my eyes closed, um I would have thought I was talking to an adult. Yeah. I know. It's uh, and, just great. <laughs> yeah, and the one thing that I noticed more than anything else is that these kids did not have anxiety.
0: Yeah, they're just kind of settled. They're kind of settled in. They're okay with where they are,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. With, with who they are. Yeah. yeah. That's um, huge. And uh, they they didn't worry about what the mob thinks of them. Mm-hmm. They weren't living in a, in a popularity contest. Every day uh, of their lives, and and being afraid of going to school and dealing with or being dealt with by the bullies. Uh, <laughs> I was
0: uh, I was sitting with a lady the other a uh, couple weeks ago, and and uh, and the, one of her kids uh, homeschool. He just pulls out a book and he was reading a book at the at the picnic table. You know, just mm-hmm. sitting there, you know, reading. <laughs> I mean, how often you see a kid do that? You
1: know? Yeah, right. <laughs> they're they're right, on their right. phone, right? They're on their yeah, phone. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow, this kid knows what a book is? Wow. <laughs> pretty interesting.
0: And he was all excited about this book. It was some kind of a kid's kind of book, but he kept showing showing me how far along these guys. He said, look at this. It's just great. I, I Oh, some uh, friend of mine sent me this. Here's what I was referring to, Mr. Mayberry, earlier. And this is a headline. The FDA wants 55 years to process FOIA requests over vaccine data. (laughs) Whoa. That's over all vaccine data. The FDA wants 55 years to process a FOIA request. Mm -hmm. My goodness. What does that tell you?
1: Well, it shows you they got pretty slow computers. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs>
0: you're being very kind it's the holidays
1: <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. oh man I'll oh, tell you man. well they must be hiding something that's all oh, you I'll can tell you say what. you know, you know
0: I, want to, I want to pitch your little uh, and I have a, a slide up here and this is a special offer we have Richard for your your early warning report what it comes out what 10 times a month right 10 times a, a month
1: 10 times a
0: year, a year excuse me 10, yeah. oh man <laughs> I mean, you're just a young kid, but I don't know if you can deal with that. Mm. Um, And uh, so we have a special, I believe it's $179 off the $350 price. I should know all that number, but I think it's pretty close. But you click on it on the front page of One Radio Network, and you're going to see the difference that you're going to pay, and it's a good deal. And um, can people write this off in their income taxes?
1: Yeah, know. sure. against like, your your cost of doing um, business, uh, research, right? research, research. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, uh, right at right. all. Yeah. And on this uh, his
0: current ev- episode or uh, edition, he goes through a whole really cool thing and studying uh, different uh, companies that are um, selling things and working with pets. And if you don't think there's uh, a lot of people that own dogs and cats, well, you're not paying attention, <laughs> right? Whoa, yeah.
1: man. I think the the pet industry as a whole is huge one of the best deals out there right now yeah and,
0: and you've gone through like you do Richard with a lot of uh, a lot of uh, companies that you put into your editions um, mm-hmm. you do a lot of research, really dig into them mm-hmm. and recommend certain stocks that people can buy correct?
1: yeah, that's right um, uh, i I look for things that I tend to have a much better understanding of than most people do, most stock analysts do, especially. And, um, you know, because I can see what they can't, because I'm the 2,500-year-old man. That's right, because you can see. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. (laughs) There are things that I see that other people don't, and I I write them up when I find a a good uh, investment in those things. And that's what I'm doing with the December issue there with the PET article, the pet industry is really booming, and um, it's, it's been booming for quite a few years, and it's just been kind of unnoticed. And my hypothesis mm-hmm. on that is that as ethics begins to, uh, not begins to, but it continues to decline... That people will get more and more disgusted with other people and they will have pets. Yeah. And I've been saying that for years and it's been happening that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite bump, bumper stickers is the more I know people, the better I like my dog.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Unconditional love, baby. You don't get that very many places, do you?
1: Yeah, right. You just, just don't. We, we live in a world now where, where lying um, is, is just. Uh, you know, standard procedure. Yeah, standard procedure. yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, you know, theft and everything else. It's just, ethics has just gone to hell um, because the public schools don't teach it. Uh, because whose ethics would they teach? So they don't teach it at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The kids come out of those schools without knowing right and wrong, and their parents came out of the same schools. They don't know right and wrong, and And so, you know life with your fellow man is becoming more problematical all the time, and I think this is going to continue. People are going to decide i'd I'd really just rather have a dog
0: mm-hmm. than yeah. uh
1: than human friends. yeah, I think a lot of that is going on.
0: boy, and a lot of people are have lost their friends of this whole thing. you know it started with Trump you know and, and that whole deal, remember.
1: Yeah, I, I you know,
0: don't know. So early on, I guess, uh, but in the election, there was so much division with the Trump uh, Hillary, you know, the election. And pe- uh-huh. People were losing their friends over that, right? Yeah. yeah. And then, boy, with this COVID thing, right? Yeah, and yeah. now, and the vax and the not vax, and oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, it's just really something. And, and they're doing everything they can to, to separate the, you know, the vax from the unvaxed and now the blacks and the whites, right? The media, that's all they want to do. Is yep. separate the blacks and the whites?
1: It's so now, really uh, amazing. It's uh, the hatred that is spreading in this country is amazing, and it's it's all based on politics or political view. I my my personal belief is that the country has split almost down the center, 50-50. Yes, sir. Pretty the, much. Yeah, half of the country fears and hates the government, and the other half sees the government as their superhero, and they want more of it. <laughs> superhero. <laughs> well, the distance between those two groups is Whoa. so wide, you know, how Whoa. are you ever going to reconcile that? Yeah. And it's, uh, the way to see it, in my opinion, is, is that it's not pro-government versus anti-government. It's the government coming between people. The government has become so powerful that it is a major factor in everybody's life and you have to develop some sort of attitude toward it, and that attitude will put you at odds with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, it's just any large, powerful government will have that effect. Uh, that people eventually figure out that the government has no money of its own; it only has or no wealth of its own. It only has what it takes from other people, and when it starts distributing this, then you automatically have this hatred develop between the victims of the mm-hmm. confiscation and the uh, recipients of the conf- confiscation, and and that is has developed full is full blown in America now. There's you know millions and millions of people that just hate the other side with a passion, uh, and as long as the government is as big and powerful as it is that's gonna keep growing. That hatred is gonna keep growing.
0: And they they seem to relish in it, maybe. Do you think it's, there's probably a lot of reasons and a lot of money behind it. We know the Soros people and other people are behind the Black Lives Matter. I mean, that's been proven, you know. They actually bring in bricks and put them on the street. And I've seen pallets, you know, bring them in, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they just wanna, you're fighting with each other, boy. I don't wanna fight with anybody.
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, you know, uh, yesterday I was talking with a psychologist who told me it's been proven that there are people who um, get a, a burst of endorphins from being angry.
0: Oh, I bet so. Right.
1: And that may be driving what an awful lot of this is, that there are people out there that enjoy being angry and they look for enemies so they can be angry and feel that shot of endorphins. That may be what underlies a lot of political viewpoints. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: in this uh, current issue, uh, by the way, oh, so I didn't kind of finish up on the little infomercial we were doing. If you just go on the front page of One Radio Network, you can click on the special offer and get hooked up with uh, with Richard's uh, uh, news uh, newsletter, Early Warning Report, at a very, very good... Uh, and do Give yourself a little holiday gift. Uh, OneRadioNetwork.com, Patrick Timpone with Richard Mayberry on the fourth Wednesday of every month. You um, you went through a very nice explanation. I really enjoyed it on the moder- modern monetary theory mm-hmm. on this edition, too, which is really kind of fun. And mm-hmm. people are actually using that, I mean, uh, a lot in some of the... Uh, financial websites, you know, selling it. You know, people who you think are kind of cool, you know, they're selling this idea of modern monetary theory. Tell folks what that is. It's pretty fun.
1: Okay, well, yeah. back in the 30s, you had an economist named John Maynard Keynes who came out with this, <laughs> what was regarded by him and uh, a lot of other people. This brilliant idea that the government could just print money like a counterfeiter gone nuts and it, there would be no bad consequences from it. And uh, modern monetary theory is the modern version of Keynesianism. Um, almost, well, probably you'd say today, all governments have adopted some version of Keynesianism. And in Washington, uh, the version is, is known as modern monetary theory. And it, it says that it's kind of hyper-Keynesianism. It says, the government really ought to print lots of money. The more they print the better. It's going to be wonderful. And uh, now it may not say exactly that in the economic literature, but that's how the politicians are taking it that they have carte blanche cart to print money like a counterfeiter forever with no controls on them. So they're printing huge amounts of money. Well, One way to—I mean—that's a catastrophe. It's going to lead to a hyperinflation, in which the dollar becomes worthless, and you can see that now, even in the consumer price index. Even though the government undoubtedly lies about that, you can see that there is a a big inflation started. Um, The—where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. This gives you, though, as an investor, an advantage. You know hmm. that those, those fools in Washington, those power junkies, are married to this MMT theory. And so you know that you don't have to be all that worried about deflation. You can just concentrate on investments that do well in inflation. So that takes a whole lot of the uncertainty hmm. out of investing right now. You can look ahead. You can tell what these idiots are going to do. So uh, you can tell what to invest in. The things that have value that, that is not tied to the value of the dollar. Uh, one of the most popular right now is, uh, is real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, the, Whatever the dollar does goes up or down or up or down. Uh, real estate isn't tied to it. Like, for instance, a bond or a bank CD is. Whatever the dollar does, that's what your bond or CD is going to be worth. If it goes up, it's going to be worth more. If the dollar goes down, it's going to be worth less. But when you have real estate or you have precious metals like gold, silver, platinum, palladium, um, when you have um, fine art, uh, antiques, uh, numismatic coins, there's all sorts of of investments that do not depend on the value of the dollar for their value and as the dollar falls these investments go up so you want to be thinking in terms of assets that are not tied to the value of the dollar Mm -hmm. and um, you're almost guaranteed that you're going to do fairly well. I hate to use the word guaranteed but the idiocy in Washington is guaranteed, and (laughs) therefore, you know, (laughs) the movements of some uh, investments are guaranteed.
0: And they they really don't have any options, do they, unless they wake up and get a cup of coffee and see the light of God and say, oh, let's just get real. And they're not gonna do that.
1: That's right. (laughs) They're
0: just not gonna do it.
1: The reason is is something called malinvestment, uh, Mm. Yeah, we got enough time for that. Okay. Sure. Um when they the government uh raises taxes, it makes people mad. And so these politicians are always afraid of making the voters mad, but they have to collect um, money somehow. They have to get money somehow to buy the votes of the voters. So, um They're always under pressure to find some source of money that they can use to uh, hand out to people to buy those people's votes. And that's all all an election is. It's just a big (laughs) vote-buying scheme. Well, you know, when they they take the money by force through taxes, they make people angry, and that's not a a good way to win an election. So they're always tempted to print money um... and that's what governments have done for many many centuries it's a very common thing and these days absolutely every national government prints some money in order to buy votes and um... as each time they do that each time they inject money into the economy that they've run off on the printing presses or made up in computers or whatever they do each time they do that, there are businesses that see hotspots appear in the economy because the money doesn't go to everybody uniformly. It goes to specific areas. And businesses see these hotspots, and they move into those hotspots, and they buy plant and equipment to create the businesses in those hotspots, and they hire workers. And everything's hunky-dory as long as the government keeps pruning the money. But at some point, the money starts losing a lot of its value and they get scared of that. So they stop printing for a while and the flows of money to these hot spots hmm. goes away. And suddenly these businesses are sitting there high and dry. The flow of money has stopped and um, they they try to tough it out to, to last until then the government starts reinflating again. But um, some went, Some are, are able to do that and some are not. And and that period where the government stops inflating for a while, that is known as a recession. Um, and it is caused by the collapse of the malinvestment that the businesses have made. The businesses have been deceived into thinking that these hot spots are going to last a long time. So they build plant and, and factories, office buildings, um, and uh, that's malinvestment. It's not investment, it's malinvestment. And when the government stops printing the money, then the malinvestment starts to go under. You have a recession. Now the voters are mad at them because they're losing their jobs. <laughs> <coughs> so they're. They're always scared to death that they're going to lose votes and they're going to do whatever they have to with the money supply to keep those votes. And um, that's, that's the the basic dynamic, and that's why they can't just keep printing and printing and printing forever without any breaks in between, because uh, if they do that, the, the money will become worthless pretty fast.
0: Well, Mr. Mayberry, you did a great job there, and you're the best at it. But you know, I got to tell you, we have a 20 second clip from uh, the President, Vice President of the United States, and she's going to explain to us in 20 seconds about inflation. So listen up.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh,
2: Prices have gone up, and families and individuals are dealing with the realities of of. the the bread costs more the gas costs more
0: Uh, that's it okay (laughs) 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 oh god help us just god help us (laughs) you think
1: maybe she doesn't know what she's Uh, talking about you (laughs) think
0: and now that now you know now word around the campfire I shouldn't even say it out loud is that they want to throw Joe under the bus (laughs) oh my god and then look you know
1: well, that's a good place for
0: him. I mean, I mean, if we, he really, he should. I mean, really, Joe, just go watch Jeopardy. You'll be fine. <laughs> but then we have Kamala. So what are we going to do with her? Oh,
1: my God. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, yeah. A thing, <laughs> that's a scary thing, man. That's <laughs> a scary thing. Boy, I'll tell you. Now, I, I don't want anybody to think that, that because I, I'm uh, – I'm, giving a bad opinion of the federal government's leadership at the moment that there's some other leadership that i think ought to be in there because to me again political power corrupts the morals and the judgment it doesn't matter who has it the problem isn't the people the problem is the power we've got to start cutting back the power
0: how are we going to do that Oh, wise two hundred year old fellow.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> as we were talking about earlier, the Oklahoma National Guard is moving in that <laughs> direction, and and that's what it comes to a lot it, of the it time. Maybe you know. I mean, it's, it's happened twice in America so far. You had the American Revolution, mm-hmm. and you had the Civil War. Both of those were cases where people were rising up, loading their rifles against the central government. Mm. Uh, they had enough of it. They didn't want any more of it, and it wouldn't go away. <laughs> so they got rid of it, or tried to, and um, and that's where we are again today. I think uh, it's it's going to come to something really violent, uh, and I I hope uh, it's the minimum vo- amount of mm-hmm. violence necessary. But you really do.
0: You're feeling you're just not feeling anything real, other than something might have to. Things rubbing against each other violently.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't see it going any other direction because wow. that's split. You've got half of the country is scared to death of the federal government and, and hates the federal government and wants it to be cut way back while the other half thinks the government is some kind of god that can solve all their problems and they want as much of it as they, as they can get. Well, how in the world are you going to get a compromise between those two? I can't see it. It's got to come down to some kind of a shooting confrontation. Yeah.
0: Well, and then I guess the Second Amendment, that's really about a well-armed militia, right? It's not about shooting deer hunting.
1: Right. right. It's not about hunting, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, look at the wording of it. That's a very important thing. Yeah, well,
0: yeah. I mean, it, I can pull it up here real
1: quickly here. Okay.
0: Do you know it by heart?
1: Uh, pretty close. Go ahead. Um, the, the important part to me is uh, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. Whoa. That's it. It, it does not say a free country. It says a free state. The reason that's in there is so that the people can rise up, the, the states themselves can rise up against the federal government and slap it down, because the fear was then that the federal government was going to wind up being a copy of the government they had just, they just fought against. Out, yeah. yeah, yeah, and they're scared and And sure enough, I mean it did it did it eventually grew up big enough to trigger the civil war mm-hmm. the the civil the civil war you you can see is pretty much uh, an attempt to make the the second amendment solve the problem and let the south um go their own way uh, why that was seen as a bad thing I have no idea i mean it, you've got today you've got three countries in North America. You got Canada, the US, and uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And if the Civil War had been won by the South, you'd have four countries. Yeah, it's so big deal. What's it why why did that bother <laughs> anybody, you know? <laughs> why is that uh, worth dying for to to avoid that?
0: Well, you had it word for word. I'll read it. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. Yeah. That's it. Boom.
1: Yeah, and if you read the Federalist Paper, which is the explanation for the Constitution, um, and uh, and I recommend the Federalist Paper.
0: Yeah, I'm going to check those budget.
1: out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's explained in there that the, the militias are uh, the real, the bulwark of, of liberty against the federal government.
0: And then, as far as the Tenth Amendment and the and the and the states versus uh, Washington control, were there people really arguing that it'd be a better idea to have Washington do it all? And just were there people arguing that back in the uh, Federalist Papers?
1: Um, I don't think so at all. I don't know oh, anything they weren't. like that. No. In fact, you had you had two groups of people: the Federalists. And most Americans have never been told there were also the anti-federalists. Mm-hmm. Um, they were led by Patrick Henry. The federalists were led uh, by James Madison. That's why my con- company is named
0: Henry, Henry Madison.
1: Henry Madison Research. Yeah, because both of them turned out to be right. Um, <laughs> you know, they disagreed strongly, but both turned out to be, be right. The uh, the federalists felt that the states would be too powerful and would wind up encroaching on the people. And so you needed another layer of government on top of them to keep them under control, to kind of neutralize them. And the anti-federalists said, no, 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 no. The the federal government will eventually grow too big, and it will tyrannize the people. Well, they both turned out to be right. Both the state governments and the federal governments same are day. tyrannizing the people. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. Same thing.
0: <day. laughs> <laughs> well, okay, well... <laughs> Well, thanks so much for being on every month. It's just such an honor to have you here. Well, you're,
1: thanks. I yeah. always enjoy it, I Patrick. You you're too. you're so good at this job. <laughs> this is a, a, a really fun thing for me, and, wow. and I appreciate it a lot. Oh,
0: my pleasure. And uh, so you and Samantha, are you going to do turkey tomorrow?
1: Yeah, we mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm.
0: You're going to decorate the Christmas tree, I suspect?
1: Yeah. Well, that'll be on Friday. On Friday, yeah. Yeah, but uh, and uh, we'll uh, have a fire. And, uh, oh start getting in the Christmas mood we try to start early because uh why not you know it's, not? it's enjoyable <laughs> and, well. you know. Right.
0: what's your favorite Christmas movie do you have a fave Christmas
1: movie oh I think probably the Christmas story oh that's a good one yeah.
0: <laughs> and also of course it's the classic it's a wonderful life you know I got to watch oh, yeah. that every year just yeah. just to watch Jimmy Stewart and do that whole thing yeah but, and that's got a lot about money too and the whole the whole banking thing see
1: yeah, I I'm always torn about that. Oh, yeah. you know, I I watch the movie and I like it, uh, but this idea of, of painting uh, the capitalist as this evil man who's corrupting the city. Oh yeah,
0: that's right. He was he was the evil guy in the the evil guy in the movie, right? Yeah, the capitalist. Yeah, I never thought yeah. about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right. So it teaches a lesson that I really oppose. No. Um, yeah, and I, got, I get it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: you're such a purist. I love you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you <laughs> I think I, I've never been called that before I don't know too
0: many purists around you know? I mean, here's a guy A yeah. wonderful life He said, well, look, what about the capitalists? There, right? I think it's great no. All right, <laughs> sir You take care of yourself And we'll see you uh, I think we'll, we're going to take some time off uh, In, in uh, Christmas okay. myself So we'll see you then in January And you take care of yourself All right?
1: You too, Patrick And thanks for the job you do You are so good at giving people the viewpoint they aren't going to get from the mainstream press. And no, thank you very much. It's impressive. our
0: pleasure. It's an honor. Thank you.
1: Thank
0: you. Happy Patrick. holidays. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You Take too. care. Richard Mayberry, Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. It's so wonderful. I never thought about the capitalist thing. Huh? Hey, I want to do a little plug here for my good friend Fred, who's going to be here, what, next week, right? Is that next week? On Wednesday, uh, Richard Mayberry talked about numismatics being one of his faves, and they these are, you know, they're fun. Now, numismatics are American money of collectible value. And they're all in plastic cases that have been um, certified by uh, NGC, that one, I think, right? NGC? So, yeah, they have a certification thing, NGC, National Coin Certification, I think. So you know what you're getting, and you can get coins of all different kinds of value and go way back into the 1900s. Uh, the St. Gaudens, those are very popular. Uh, and uh, it's a wonderful way to invest in in uh, uh, a rising inflationary environment. And we definitely are there. Inflation hasn't been this high since the Jimmy Carter days of 1970. That's right. Remember when Jimmy was walking around the, the White House in a sweater? He had this little button, whip inflation now. Remember that one? Yep. Well, that's uh, that's when gold moved from $35 an ounce in the early 70s to $850 an ounce in uh, 1980, 1981, and the interest rates went to about 16%, 17%. Boy, that would have been the time to buy a 30-year treasury bond at 17%. Huh? Whoa. Yeah, I just wasn't on top of that one. But... Uh, interest rates will probably go up that high, too, as this whole inflationary thing. So save some cash, and they go up to 10%, buy yourself a 10% uh, treasury bond and pretty good money, baby. You can sell all your... See, that's the deal. Here, you can buy gold coins now, right? Buy a bunch of gold coins from Fred at eight hundred eight seven eight twenty six forty six. Put about 100 grand in there. Seriously. And then... As gold goes up, and it's going to go up in the next two, three, four, five years, because these people aren't going to quit. You know, even if a, even if a Republican gets in at twenty-four, you know, they'll just keep printing money. You know, they're all the same. Uh, who cares, right? Uh, um, they're just going to keep doing it. And then gold maybe goes up to two or three or four thousand dollars a year, or uh, an ounce. And then you buy it at two thousand, you double your money, and then take that money, cash it in. And then buy a treasury bond. By the way, interest rates will be going up for the next two, three, four, five years because that's the only place they can go. Maybe they get up to 10 or 15% again. And then buy a treasury bond at 15% interest and pretty good. And just retire. With your 100000 which is now 200000 which is $200,000, 15% interest uh, for 30 years. Figure that. Do the math on that one. Maybe. All right. I love you all very much. Thanks for your support. But call Fred if you want some, some coins. 800-878-2646. 800-878-2646. Also, Fred has what they call coin silver. Coin silver. That's pre-1965 uh, quarters, dimes, and halves. And these are no numismatic value, but uh, they just have silver. And silver is going to go up too in the next two, three, four, five years. You know it's going to. It's got to, uh, with all the inflation that we're going to ex- experience. So then you can do the same thing: save your silver. Or, you know, if things get really get messy, you can, uh, you know, go to the farmers market and buy some, buy some broccoli with a dime. You know, with that much silver, that'd be pretty fun. All right, I love you all very much. Thank you. Uh, it's an honor to have Richard Mayberry on. We are going to be talking with a 400-year-old man in about eight minutes. He was at the very first Thanksgiving. I believe it was in 1619. Yeah, the first Thanksgiving, 1619. He was there, so that's four, 400. So we're going to talk to him all kinds of things, and that's coming up in about 10 minutes. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.